0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Paddock Pass podcast. I am here with Mr. Superbike himself, Steve English. We are sitting in a room in uh, Jerez after the, or well, still in the middle of the final day of the combined MotoGP and World Superbike test. We are going to be taking a look back at the 2017 World Superbike season. It's been a fairly sort of intense season, but there was only really one clear winner, wasn't there? Yeah, it's been a fairly intense season and a fairly
1: historic season as well. When you look at uh, this year, Jonathan Ray became the first rider to win three championships in a row in the class. He won 16 races, broke the single season points record and really just stamped his authority on the series. But it was also a good season where we saw actually a lot of good racing down through the field.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, Jonathan Ray was the obviously the class of the field that... Chaz Davies gave him a little bit of run run for his money for a for a lot of the the series, but uh, the Yamahas were uh, fairly decent. Yamaha's made some progress. Leon Cameron on the MV as well. I mean, he had uh, he had moments where he where he looked like he could be he could really tr- trouble the front runners. It was just difficult to close the gaps at the front. I think
1: that's the big story of the season. David, really, Yamaha did make a lot of progress. They were able to get on the podium quite a lot in the second half of the season and really get very close to what we see from Kawasaki and Ducati and uh, then MV being able to make as much progress as they did still didn't manage to get a podium Leon Camier just missing out on a couple of occasions where really if any rider deserved a podium in any class of racing this year, it was probably Leon. Yeah, um, I mean
0: Port him out. I remember watching Po the Porti race, trying to will him, him across the line, but it just it just, you know, wasn't gonna happen. Magni Corps as well, where he had uh, an engine problem that uh, robbed him of what looked like a pretty much a surefire
1: podium. And uh, really, that was the the story for most of the season for Leon. Just like making that progress, being just on the edge of being able to stand on the podium and just not quite being able to do it. And ultimately, that's why he left MV to go to Honda for next year. But when you look at uh, the progress Yamaha made, that's what gives you a lot of hope that for next year, whether or not the new regulations will make a difference for next year. If you put in the effort, you can get close. You can make that sort of that step forward where you're able to challenge at the
0: front and get some podiums and really for Yamaha, they could easily have won some races this year. It, yeah, exactly. I mean, it, if you look back at Misano, if you look back at, uh, you know, Michael van der Mark leading the, leading that race and then the, uh, and then the, the, the tire incident, there was a couple of times where tires really, um, just worked against them and stopped them from, stop them from succeeding.
1: Yeah. And Michael was able to take two podiums at the end of the year Lowe's took four podiums as well so you know six podiums for Yamaha considering how far they were off the pace in their first year back in 2016 really does show a lot of progress and having van fight at the front in Assen and Mizano and uh, you know it really did show his potential on the bike as well and I think given what Mikey was able to do whenever he came you know onto that bike did well at Suzuka did okay in MotoGP as well you know, it shows just the kind of depth there is. And when you look at the other side of that pit box, Lowe's on his second year with the bike, fourth year, fifth year in, in the class, he really was able to make a big step forward. He had more consistency than Vandermark, but... It's interesting when you look at the season as a whole, even though Lowe's finished ahead of him in the championship, most people will look at the flashes of what van der Mark did in Aston and Mizano as those real standout moments for Yamaha.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, What I remember, what I found interesting was uh, when uh, Alex came in and did the wild cards in uh, MotoGP last year, uh, afterwards he was saying it, it really helped him uh, learn to ride the superbike a little bit better and he really looked a lot more consistent a lot smoother a lot more um uh, just a little bit better on the bike and uh, do you think that contributed to some of the progress because a lot of it was also support from Yamaha Yamaha stepped up and supported the team um, more this year
1: yeah there was a lot more japanese faces inside the pit box and there was a lot of ex MotoGP gp people That were brought in just to try and lead some of the development they made big changes within the electronic setup as well to try to brought in one of Chaz davis's engineers from 2016 so they've spent a lot of money they've invested it well and uh, that's what's sort of seen that sort of progress being made because we know that the r1 can be a very competitive superbike we see it at suzuka where they've won the last three years it's just trying to make it where it's competitive in a world sbk setting as well and i think they're going to be one of the teams that's hurt least by the new regulations for next year. But it was important, and like Alex said it a few times through the year, that it was important that Yamaha made these steps in 2017 so that they were able to show, you know, we're right there anyway. And that's what they've done this year.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, we should be talking about uh, the regulations a little bit later uh, separately because I think that, you know, there's a lot to digest, there's a lot to talk about. Um, uh, But it's clear, I mean... Obviously, Jonathan completely well. He completely dominated this year, and I think also, um, as you say, it was a record-breaking season. Um, uh, I think he. I saw a statistic somewhere that uh, since joining Kawasaki, he's won more races than anyone else uh, than anyone else combined.
1: Yeah, since joining Kawasaki, just over the last three years, if you were to take his World Superbike career as just being those three years, I think it's only Haga, Bayless, and Foggy have won more races. In their entire series history, so you know it just shows what kind of run Ray's been on, and and it is, you know, it's easy to look at it and just think that it's it's you know bad for the series or whatever way you want to put it. But for Ray, he's just come in and just been what we see with Tiger Woods in golf, or you know, different different sportsmen, Michael Mick, Jordan Mick in Doan. basketball, Mick, Mick doing in GPs you know, in the,
0: in the five hundred area. Yeah, yeah,
1: you have it where. He's been able to click with a team and he's been able to get the most out of himself. He's been injury free and everything's sort of fallen into place. And he doesn't, he hasn't made mistakes. He's been able to race from the front. If you look at each year, we go to Phillip Island and the last few years he's been beaten once there. And since he joined Kawasaki, that was by Leon Hasleman and Aprilia. So he's won five races there. Then we go to Ram. He's won the double each year. Or no, he won, did the double this year, won a race the year before, and in 15, I think he did the double as well. So you know, you go to two tracks where he's really strong. So he's been able to fight from the front with a points cushion each year. Once we get back to Europe, and that makes a big difference as well. It changes your mindset, changes your opponent's
0: mindset as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you you, you start the season off on the right foot. You start off strong, and you start with a with a not just a points advantage, but a but a mental advantage uh, as well. Everyone else is kept playing catch up for the rest of the season.
1: Yeah, and we were talking just here at the Herath Test Day with Gordon Ritchie, of course, motorcycle newses world SBK reporter and as Gordon said you know it's important to work on the legacy of Jonathan Ray right now as well it's it's easy to it's easy to look for negatives when someone's winning all these races and winning titles three in a row but it's also important to remember that this has never been done before and it's important to focus on that as well because right now we are looking at the greatest superbike rider of all time statistically and uh, you know there's an argument to be made that whether it's just based on stats or whether it's based on on anything else that we should be building up that we're looking at the best ever rider in World Superbikes right now instead of what's being said in different places where you know we're looking at one lad that's just dominating and really
0: taking the focus away from the championship. I think one thing that's, uh, that has impressed me is, is not just Jonathan Ray's championship, it's also the team. The team is also um, just incredibly efficient and they they run, they do everything very very professionally they are uh, they're just uh, i think a lot of this uh, a lot of jonathan's advantage is uh, just the fact that he can do that that he does that so well that he actually that they that the, the, the team prepare the bike uh, efficiently the, the the team I mean you, you walk past the pit box and the pit box is always immaculate. Everything is just calm. There's always like an atmosphere of uh, uh, of calm out uh, out there. Everyone is working and, and sorting themselves out, everyone knows what they're doing and that um and the could because I think the team's also been together for quite a long time as well.
1: Yeah, the team's been together for a long time and Ray was sort of just transplanted into it. And if you look at uh Perariba, his crew chief, over the last eight, nine years he's worked with one the scores then Loris Baz for three years and they Ray for three years. So there's been a lot of stability there and uh, that definitely makes a big difference and it, and it just breeds confidence. Like if you look at this year was the year where you know, we had the grid reshuffle and we had lots of changes coming in. But if you were to look at the just the sheer numbers for this season... Ray spent, I think it's 23 laps out of the podium places across 26 races, even though he was starting ninth more often than not in race two. Yeah,
0: I mean, the the, the grid reshuffle is an interesting, I mean, it was an interesting idea, but it all it really, for me, all it really emphasised is just how good Jonathan Ray was at overtaking, because he's, those first few, those first few laps, he was able to be incredibly aggressive and yet still pass quite cleanly. And be, uh, you know he was at the front within usually within like two or three uh, two or three laps. You saw the same with Chaz Davies. Um, uh, Tom Sykes seems to struggle a little bit more. Tom was fast once he was once he was you know if he had clear track, but he did seem to uh, struggle to get past other riders. Yeah, and Tom was better at it than I think people expected as well. But it, it is
1: just that case of just losing that bit more ground. And me and Neil actually went down to talk to Chas Davis about it, and Chaz said that one of the for him one of the big differences for, for Johnny compared to the, the other riders was that because he had a championship lead, he could afford to take more of a risk and he could afford to put it down the inside and be a little bit more aggressive. And you you could see that at certain races. Laguna, Johnny got through, I think into turn two, he was already leading the race. Chaz did it in Qatar. At the end of lap one, he was already leading and that was coming from, I think, 10th on the grid in Qatar. Yeah. You know, you can do it, but You need a willing dance partner if you're going to try and come through the field like that. And, you know, I think for the grid reshuffle, it didn't change anything. I don't think anyone really expected it to change too much in terms of the end result. But it did rob us, I think, of a few really good races where Davis and Ray had the pace to be on par with one another, but they'd be split by a second after the first lap or the second lap whenever Chaz got through to the front as well. And, you know, we were able to see it where they'd edge up to each other, but not quite have that uh, bar-to-bar fight.
0: Did, is there any thought of uh, uh, getting rid of the grid reshuffle, or is that is it here to stay for the moment? I've
1: I've heard that there was talk of being even more radical with it, but it looks like it's just going to stay as it is for the moment.
0: One rider who gave Jonathan Ray a run for for his money was uh, was Chaz Davies. Um, he was just you know fantastic all year uh you could see also just how much he was having to override the bike to just try to stay with jonathan yeah and a lot of that comes down just to
1: Chaz's style on a bike as well you know he put so much emphasis on the front of the bike that he's always pushing hard and uh, for Chaz, you know he did make some mistakes this year he's openly admitted that uh you know it was a a sloppy enough season for him you know he had uh, he had his wins and whenever he was on it he was dominant but he had his mistakes and the, really when you're up against Jonathan, you, you can't afford mistakes. Yeah. And that's I mean, that, what Charles that, found.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, to me, that was, uh, I think, what was most impressive about Ray was not so much, you know, the man, the, the way that he managed to win, but just the way that he managed to win perfectly and without, without ever making a mistake. But, to, I mean, and, and Davies, again, perhaps wanted it too much and so forced himself into making mistakes
1: yeah when when Jonathan was having a bad day he'd finish third when Chaz was having a bad day he could finish in the gravel and that's the difference and I think that there's no difference between them in terms of talent speed anything like that the bikes are pretty much capable of doing the same lap times but there's a bigger operating window on that Kawasaki you can ride it in more ways you can do different things with it whereas for Chaz on the Ducati it just seems that you can only ride it one way. And that's probably why he's been so much better than his teammates on average over the last four or five years. You know, since he's joined Ducati, teammates
0: have been able to beat him here, there, but not everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of teammates, he had a new teammate this, uh, this year. Marco Melandri came back. He came back from a year away. Where, what did you think of Melandri? I mean, I was quite impressed that, uh, he was, you know, he was, he was better than I'd expected. I, I was expecting him to be a little bit slower after, after missing out a year, but he came back and he was reasonably, you know, he got to not a perfect start, but he really got stronger throughout the year.
1: Yeah, for Melandri, this was a really good comeback to World SBK. I think if you look at what people remember from the 2015 season, they remember a sulking Melandri that didn't want to be in MotoGP, but he made no secret that he want, that he didn't want to be there. If you remember back to the Valencia test after yeah. the 2014 Grand Prix, whenever he had his first test on the Aprilia, he made it perfectly clear, this isn't where I want to be. I want to be in, in World Superbikes where I can win a world championship. Yeah, And, uh, you know, he's had to... He's had to bear the brunt of that for the last couple of years. And fair enough, he's been well-paid. He should have been able just to pull his socks up and get on with it. He was still racing in MotoGP. But Melandri is one of those riders that, in a lot of ways, is that classic Italian, where if he's not happy, he's not going to be quick. And uh, this year, he came in. And if you remember back to this test this time last year, the, the group MotoGP World Superbike test, he looked happy right from the start. He looked at ease with the team. And I remember I wrote some pieces for On Track Off Road, and it was sit down with Marco. He was talking about what he was looking forward to, and it was perfectly clear he was looking forward to being back in superbikes. And if he's motivated and happy, and he's got the team around him that he needs, he's going to win races. He's going to be fast. And he showed that this year. You know, he won his race in Mizzano, and it was. Italy's 100th win in World Superbikes and it was a great occasion and uh, for Milandri, it was really important just to get that win for most of this season he didn't he didn't manage to take the fight to Chaz and Johnny he was a little bit off them but he was still on the podium more often than not this season and he was able to really take advantage of the grid reshuffle as well to start you know on the front row a lot of times for race two and convert that into podiums
0: yeah, I mean, he seems to be sort of clearly the fourth best rider in the uh, uh, in the paddock, or uh, you know, on the grid in World Superbikes. But do you think there's more to come? Do you think he can make that sort of extra step? He's Marco Melandri. Of course he can make that extra step.
1: He's shown the whole way through his career how special he is. If you think back to 98, as a rookie in 125s, he could have won the World Championship. He's a 250 World Champion. He could easily have been a MotoGP World Champion. He could easily have been a Superbike Champion. You know, the talent's all there, and it's just a case of being able to get that talent out. The biggest problem is, Chaz is so good on that Ducati.
0: Well, the other problem is he's also, what, 36, 37? I, for, I forget, exactly, but he's, you know... I'd say Marco's only about 34. 90, 35, uh, just turned
1: 35 in August. Yeah. Still young for a superbike rider. You can still win at that age.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you look at, uh, uh, I mean, obviously, if you, if you look at Troy Bellis but then Troy Belis didn't start radio, uh, racing until he was 22, whereas Marco was, you know, he's been racing since about, uh, well, like all Italians, uh, before he could walk. But it's you, you don't really see it as being a fact. I don't think age is that
1: big of an issue now. Everyone's able to take care of themselves a lot better electronics have helped a lot as well you don't suffer those big nasty high sides as often now so injuries aren't as prevalent although as we've seen this week you can still easily get injured Chaz Davis had a crash during the opening day of his test and he's had to miss the rest of the week he's goes back to Wales with you know a wrist injury a knee injury so you can still get hurt but they're injuries that can be healed a lot easier than what we saw in the past so age isn't as big of a concern and we see that with Valentino Rossi and you know countless other riders that at an advanced stage that in the past you're moving on to be an ambassador they're
0: still able to win championships win races yeah right well um, we'll take a quick break and when we come back we will uh, talk about uh, Honda Aprilia and the rest of the people on the grid David Emmett here just a quick reminder, if you're listening to this show on iTunes, please remember to leave us a review and rate us, as it really helps other fans find the show. Thanks a lot. Bye. Welcome back. One other D-Carry rider I think needs uh, needs a mention is uh, Ch- uh, Chavi Forrest. Forrest showed real, he showed some real promise this year. He was a bit sort of uh, hot and cold, but when he was hot, he was really, really quick. He just seemed to lack a little bit of patience. He was a little bit too eager to uh, to make passes, to try and move forward sometimes. And I think that cost him at the end of races.
1: Yeah, for Forrest, this was another season where he was just able to keep growing in the class. And it's easy to forget that this is only his third year in Worlds. You know, he's a multiple IDM champion, but. He only came in to replace Giuliano a few years ago when Giuliano got injured and he's been able to keep his place ever since. And for Fares, this was another season where he made big steps forward. He suddenly went from being an occasional top five rider to pretty consistently getting himself in into the thick of things and he was in the podium fight. Right from the start of the year, if you think back to Phillip Island, he was really strong. And he said that it was just really important to have a race in the dry where he was able to be competitive like that and get used to racing against those kind of riders.
0: And he definitely made that big step forward. Yeah, yeah. yep. On to Honda, it was just... A disastrous year for Honda really and to an extent not really, uh, just a lot of things were just out of their hands, I mean the fact that um, uh, obviously uh, losing Nicky Hayden was a massive blow to the team uh, it was a massive blow to the sport, it was a massive blow to everyone but it was, it was really bad for the team because Nicky I think was quite important in uh, trying to help to move the project on and, and, and develop the prog- uh, project uh, Stefan Bradl uh, certainly didn't live up to his promise but also struggled with injury, he had, um, he had problems they spent the last the second half of the season basically swapping uh, replacement riders, uh, but there have been sort of some big changes in that team to try and address this. Yeah, five different
1: riders on the Honda this year, and all five of them struggled. You know, and it's it's easy to look at look at what happened with Nicky and uh, just think in terms of the human loss because like he was so popular within the paddock and uh, such a big name within the sport. Like when you talk to everyone, it's. Uh, you know, in World Superbikes for the last couple of years, he was that rider that everyone on the street had heard of. You know, so you lose that that impact straight off the bat and it's big for the series. But for Honda, they lost probably the hardest working rider you'll ever see you know yeah
0: it. i i, I uh, ran into um uh ronald and carter over the winter and he was uh saying that it was nicky who was telling people no no, no we're, not, we're not having a lunch we're not having a lunch break and i think it was him who also got the uh uh because they missed out uh, on some time after a red flag and it was nicky who got them to extend the session for them
1: yeah it was uh the first test he had everyone stopped at one o'clock for lunch and he was there like i got my sandwiches boys if you're not you're not packing lunch that that's your problem <laughs> and uh, he marched everyone back into the box and just said like this is this is how we work and uh i remember we were here at uh the test last year david the weather was terrible you know you'd wake up in the morning and uh, it was raining it was just mizzly and just not not good at all and nobody was going out at the start of at the start of the day until about 12 o'clock we've been lucky this week the weather's been great but last year it was really tricky for everyone and uh, i was walking down pit lane and uh you know, Nicky was talking about it that uh, you know he still couldn't couldn't get the team. Sorry, this is 2016 actually. Sorry, to tell it like for that winter test two years ago, and uh, he couldn't get the team to let him go out on on a wet tire or an intermediate. And he just, he was just saying, if the weather's like this in Phillip Island, do they think I'm not going to go out? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, it was that kind of change that we saw within Tankada in his 18 months with the team that uh, you know it did show them what you needed to do to be successful because Tenkade, they haven't had a rider like that in a long time and now's when they need it. And they've probably got it with Leon Cameo right now that will join for the 2018 season. But with that bike, they needed someone that was just able to drive that development forward. And unfortunately for them, Nicky's accident came at the worst time as well because they were starting to make some changes. And uh, it just, uh, after after his accident, the team weren't able to to get that same focus. They weren't able to still get the same grind because the not so much the attitudes within the team, but just the emphasis changed because suddenly you went from having Nicky and Stefan to suddenly it was it's Stefan, Giuliano, Takahashi, Gagne on the bike. They also had a, their test rider out there as well at times just in some of the official tests during the season. So you know, you lost having a focal point and instead you've just got this Vast array of opinions, rather than someone just saying, "This is what we need to work on." Yeah,
0: exactly. And the, the, uh, there have been changes inside the team. Um, uh, I think Ronald Tenkata is stepping back a little bit. Kervin uh, Boss, um, uh, ex-Dutch racer, is is coming in to manage the team. Uh, there are changes in the technical team. There is more uh, more help coming from Honda Europe, and I think also a little bit from Japan. Honda, uh, you know, Tenkata will be they'll, they'll, at least they'll have the bike in time you know they'll be able to work on the development more so that there should be more we spoke to Leon on uh, yesterday and he was impressed by the potential of the bike but said you know that the big problem was the electronics
1: yes yeah, still a lot of work to be done on the bike but Leon's saying that the chassis is actually quite good it's just a little bit different because when you make a change it's not really having this, the impact that you would expect a big change to have whereas small changes. Might be having a drastic effect on the handling so he's just he's struggling to come to get it into his head just what the bike needs but they're going to change to the magnetti morelli electronics it looks like so that could be a big step forward for them and there is there is a good bike underneath it all in the honda you see that in bsb they've been able to win races and uh, get to the showdown and uh, you know, there is potential
0: in the package it's just trying to unleash it fully yeah, the other manufacturer in uh world Superbikes is obviously Aprilia, Eugene Laverty and Lorenzo salvadori they struggled a little bit this year because the bike simply wouldn't do what they wanted it to do. Yeah, and uh, that's the biggest problem for Aprilia has
1: been that uh, the series has moved forward a lot since Aprilia was was here as a as a full entry, and uh, the Aprilia hasn't moved forward. You know, suddenly you move from a, a situation where you could move the position of the engine and different elements within the bike to it all being in a fixed location and that drastically changed what the bike felt like and for Eugene Laverty and, and his crew that were working on the Aprilia in the past suddenly all the things that you were able to do in the past you couldn't do and it took them until about Donington for the bike to actually I think there was a test at Misano just after Donington and it took them until then to actually try and get the bike into the right kind of window where it felt like an Aprilia should but uh, this year Best result of fourth position and it really was just a, a struggle for them and I think if you were to look at it as who's been the winners and losers for the season, who's been the the surprise package and who's been the, the biggest surprise, you'd have to say the biggest surprise and the biggest disappointment was Laverty's performance on the Aprilia because everyone knows how talented he is everyone knows what he can do on an aprilia
0: yeah i mean he, he basically you know the, the the last time he was on an Aprilia in world Superbikes, he was fighting for a championship
1: yeah last time he was on it you, you would say that he was probably the best Superbike rider in the world and uh he certainly didn't look at this year and it's just a case of trying to be able to get him into the right window where they're able to exploit what that bike does well
0: it also didn't help with the fact that that team sort of switched bikes uh switched bikes from last year
1: yeah it probably didn't help but they had enough time to figure it out and they didn't figure it out you know and that's where maybe the new regulations they could hurt Aprilia far more than they hurt anyone else so it could be another difficult season for laverty and smr
0: yeah i mean the only thing that they that the, that they will be hoping is that the uh, the concession parts which uh, which are allowed will will be able to uh, help them at the start of, at the start of the season if they haven't been successful in the first three rounds that maybe they'll be able to make a step sort of um, uh, mid-season or well uh, at the beginning of the season where uh, Ducati and Kawasaki are likely to be sort of you know forced to stand still yeah and it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the
1: winter as well just in terms of what that team does to improve because we talked about Tenkadi making a lot of changes SMR made a lot of changes as well, with Mick Shanley leaving his role as team manager. Sean Muir taking on more responsibility. So it's uh it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out as well.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's uh, um, how much how much more support do you suppose they can get from the factory Aprilia because uh, Aprilia are they're putting a lot of resources into MotoGP at the moment and it, it feels like it's co- that's costing some of their support in World, uh, in World SBK. Yeah, they're putting a lot of resources in, but a pretty is one factory where you don't see a
1: lot of direction yeah. right now. And when they had Gigi in charge, there was direction. And when you talk to people about the role that uh, Romano has filled since taking over from Gigi... It it, it doesn't seem that there's the same level of communication. It doesn't seem that there's the same level of this is how we're going to work. This is what we need to do. And the Superbike program is definitely being affected by that because the resources go
0: to MotoGP. And superbikes is basically an afterthought. Yeah, and you can see—I mean, you can see how important Gigi uh, Gigi Delini was to Aprilia. Now that he's at Ducati, and the way that he's transformed that organisation, and they really need the same sort of kind of sort of strong leadership to uh, just get everyone's uh, everyone's mind focused and and all sort of all the everyone facing in the same direction.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing—if you've got uh, a general, you want to follow him through the. The fires of hell and uh, people do that for gg yeah and they don't do it for a lot of people yeah i think when you look at the season as a whole david it really has been a season of transition for world sbk but uh for next year we'll have new regulations and uh, we could have a lot of changes in store for us and uh, we will Actually, we'll take a look at that in a later show over the course of the winter. We've got a bit of time now to get our heads around the new regulations. We've seen everyone out on track this week. We've talked to a lot of the teams about it and it probably warrants just another show separately on that over the course of the winter. And we also have a sit-down interview with Jonathan Ray, the world champion, that we'll put into another show. So over the course of the next couple of months before Phillip Island, we'll have a few superbike shows here on the Paddock Pass podcast.
0: Right. Well, thank you very much for your expert insights, uh, Steve. Uh, Thank you very much, listeners. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Paddock Pass Pod and Facebook, facebook facebook.com Paddock Pass Podcast. And thank you all and see you again soon.